Welcome to the Global Venturing Review Podcast. My name's James Mawson, founder and editor-in-chief of our Global Corporate Venturing, Global University Venturing, and Global Impact Venturing publications. And it's nice in this new year to be back on the podcast with Thierry Hillis. Welcome, Thierry. Hello, Jim. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you. Hopefully you had a a good break and a bit of a rest. I did indeed. I, I did a complete digital detox and didn't even enter the office for two weeks, which was very nice. Oh, that is lovely. I like that. Well, hopefully you made uh, made up for it in other ways. You had a sort of nice, relaxed Christmas and, uh, you know, and all the rest of it. I did indeed. Yes. Too much food and a few good books. What what more can you need? Wow, that is perfect. <laughs> I'm impressed you said books rather than videos. So I, I do know you like a good film. Well, yes, a good film is, is always good too as well. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. But... But while having done your digital detox, have you come back to a surge of news? And uh, what's been the exciting stories over the past uh, week or longer? Well, yes, we are actually looking a little bit further back with the first story. One of the big shifts in 2020 was, of course, the surge in edtech providers with China leading the way there. That was before a flurry of large rounds in the space right before the end of the year. The biggest being a $1.6 billion Series E round for online tutoring platform developer Zui Bang that included Alibaba and SoftBank's Vision Fund 1. The company's overall funding now stands at roughly $2.9 billion, some 80% of which has come in the past seven months. Crikey, that is a lot of money to come in a few months, isn't it? Uh, But uh, like I say, if everyone, thanks to COVID, is having to work from or teach their kids at home much more frequently then it's really sort of sped up the sort of digital development and the use of AI and technology so it'll be interesting to see what Zoe Bang does with all the money but uh, it's also interesting to see that both Alibaba and SoftBank are back in on that deal obviously SoftBank was the corporate venture backer of Alibaba back in the day but um, last year Mayoshi Son the sort of CEO and founder of SoftBank left Alibaba's board and Jack Ma um, and others sort of, you know, distanced their ties a little bit from SoftBank as well. And they sold some shares. So, but the fact they're still co-investing together is good. But obviously the big news about Alibaba back end of last year was the fact that uh, their stake in Ant was pulled. And uh, since then, since the sort of regulators cracked down on that massive, what would have been the world's largest IPO, I think, you know, we haven't seen anything much of Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba. So I think he's either, you know, kept a bit of a lower profile, but it's definitely the case that the Chinese state is cracking down, not just on Ant, but more broadly looking at some of the big tech companies and saying, how much influence are you having? And I think education in that light will be definitely one of those areas or fields where the state will want to have a lot of control over the content and who's been taught what. So what that means in terms of broadly, I don't know, but uh, but it's definitely going to be one of the places to watch is if they're concerned about too much influence from tech companies and say finance, they certainly will be on the education being provided and how it's being done. So and so I think this could be could be one of those areas where there's a lot of interest from uh, from the sort of uh, Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, there. Uh, it might also just be a case of the uh the CEO of Zui Bang not giving a speech where he uh, says some unsavory things about the existing Chinese ecosystem and infrastructure, which I think didn't help Jack Ma's situation in uh, 
in November, I think, when he uh, he called the Bangs pawn shops, which is probably not Beijing didn't uh, didn't like, I guess. Actually, I can see where he was coming from actually on that. It is interesting how sort of banks do operate. The old saying about banks is they'll lend you an umbrella when it's not raining, take it away when it is. Is uh, you know, it's definitely a an element of truth, even if it is a bit stereotypical. But uh. <laughs> yeah, oh, I don't necessarily disagree with with what he said. He, um, I think he just forgot for a, a split second. At a very unfortunate moment that he he was talking about a uh, a fairly strict regime. I know, and I imagine if he'd done it the day after, would the world be a different place now? It very well might be, yeah. Well, speaking of SoftBank, we also have André Martial, the former managing partner at Japan-based SoftBank's $5 billion Latin America-focused fund, who has raised $50 million for the first close of an independent VC firm. He set up Volp Capital in 2019 with SoftBank's backing and its first fund also has investment bank BTG Pactual as a cornerstone LP. Marcelo Clore, head of SoftBank Latin America and the $5 billion fund's managing partners Paolo Passoni and Shu Nyata have also invested in the fund. The firm plans to invest in up to 20 early stage companies at Series A stage with a primary focus on the Brazilian market according to regional trade body LAFCA. Yeah, Andre's based actually in Sao Paulo in Brazil and spoke very kindly at our corporate venture in Brazil conference, uh, the last one we held back in 2019 pre-COVID in partnership with Apex Brazil, you know, government agency over there and uh, gave a great talk actually fascinating about just how active they had been for this 5 billion Latin America funds in that first year of operations, you know, number of deals are done, but obviously felt like, well, if I'm going to do this, perhaps I can create more of a Brazil operation as well as SoftBank's Latin fund, which has been very heavily active even since. So, um, yeah, it's great to see, actually. Andre's you know, impressive background and gave a great speech at uh, the thing. And we've definitely seen a lot of activity and interest in not just Brazil, but also Latin America more broadly. So I think it's going to be a, definitely a market to keep your close eye on. Yeah, it really is. Then we have... SoFi has come a long way since it started as a student loan refinancing specialist, having expanded into a multi-pronged financial services platform that offers lending, investment and insurance products. The company, which has raised some $2.4 billion from investors, including SoftBank again and RenRen, has also agreed a reverse merger with a SPAC called Social Capital Hedo Sophia Holdings Corporation 5 and will be listed on the New York Stock Exchange. The deal will be boosted by $1.2 billion in pipe financing, and the merged company will be valued at $8.65 billion once the deal closes, double the valuation at which SoFi last raised money. Crikey, it's enormous. The whole SPAC thing last year, whatever, you know, 200 plus SPACs which were filed raising tens of billions, 80 billion if memory serves, and then having to go off and find targets. But what but it's just the sheer sort of amount of money that goes to the sort of principals putting those deals together. It's just phenomenal. So, you know, the fact that SoFi is able to get a SPAC, the social capital, you know, SPACs were unheard of really even a couple of years ago. You know, they were seen as a very sort of niche, fairly sort of toxic product in many ways. It was hard for them to find deals or get them done. But um, Chamath, who's the sort of principal behind social capital, and these SPACs has really done an amazing job just getting 
people interested in them as a way of getting their IPO away a bit quicker, you know, and being able to raise money. The fact that sort of stock market investors are buying into these things just shows the sort of pent up demand for growth stocks that is coming. The fact that they're not being served enough by the traditional IPOs, that people are unhappy about how investment banks, you know, run those processes, how they earn their fees. When the sort of the valuations that struck for them at that IPO markets always felt that the VCs and entrepreneurs have been unhappy with that process because the investment banks always will lean over backwards to the, the purchasers of the stock, the sort of mutual funds, hedge funds that want to buy in, you know, and they want there to be a first day pop so they make their returns immediately. Whereas obviously if you're an entrepreneur, a VC, you want it to be valued more highly so that you make more the money as the existing investors so that tension's always been a challenging one for you know for the entrepreneurs and vcs the investment banks have controlled the process of how they get money allocated to which mutual funds and obviously they make a great sort of three percent on a large deal but the fact the SPACs you know the the founders and the sort of the the people bringing it to market in this case social capital Sophia would earn about 25% of an 8 billion deal is just mind-blowing. It's just, you know, it's just phenomenal what it could do. Obviously, SoFi gets 1.2 billion of growth stock. They get Everyone gets diluted down. But people putting it together suddenly made potentially a couple of billion from bringing one company to the market. It's just unreal. It's a, it's a phenomenally lucrative insider deal. Yeah. Nothing wrong yeah, with it. It's yes. all very legitimate. It's all very clear cut and uh, above board. But it's just the fact that it's so much money, you know. And that's why you're seeing this enormous wave of sort of spacs being announced. But eventually, at some point, shareholders will go. Could we do these spacs just a little bit cheaper? You know, we're happy to buy this stuff. We just do. We really need to get put so much on the table to the people bringing it to market. Yeah, that's true. I I don't think we we are at the end of that wave, but it it is probably going to come <laughs> at, at at some point in the not too distant future. Mm. Yeah, you think so? But I mean, if you know, it's just a classic inside of Wall Street trade, isn't it? At the moment, but uh, yeah, while that music's playing, some people are just going to make so much money. It's unbelievable. I mean, you know, and then you think of all the millions of people struggling through COVID and. One person brings one deal to market and then you know sits on two billion or someone like Elon Musk who's now the world's richest person worth hundred and eighty eight billion or so, depending on whatever the stock price has done today. Phenomenal. Yeah. Amazing times. It really is. I I almost wish I was one of them, but I genuinely wouldn't know what I would do with that much money, to be honest. I think it would be too much. It's too much for anyone, really. It's too much money for any person. You can name a town after yourself. Yeah. Well, yeah. Helltown. <laughs> <laughs> well, something something slightly different on global university venturing. The biggest deal of the week was also a nine-figure round, which is still fairly rare. Which was Hinge Health, which is a US-based digital therapeutics company backed by IP Group, which closed a $300 million Series D round co-led by Kotu Management and Tiger Global. The round valued Hinge at $3 billion. Founded six, well, seven years ago in 2014, Hinge Health has built a digital healthcare platform for people living with chronic musculoskeletal conditions, such as back on joint pain. 
The offering consists of an app, wearable sensors, and access to remote health coaches to deliver physical and behavioral health therapy. Hinge was co-founded by CEO Daniel Perez, who gained a PhD in medical sciences from Oxford in 2013, and President Gabriel Mecklenburg, who obtained an MPhil in bioengineering from Imperial College in 2014. But interestingly, it is not actually a spin-out. The company was only founded after both had graduated and worked together at Oxbridge Biotech Roundtable, which is an organization looking to connect academia with industry since 2011. That was actually also founded by Daniel Perez, so a very busy man. Interesting. That's a great deal, isn't it? I hadn't seen that. But um, one of the things I didn't notice about the D-Round, the fact that, as you say, that KOTU and Tiger are both hedge funds. You know, and yes. I think they've backed, if memory serves, about 70-plus US deals in the past... 18 months, they've either led or co-led 70 plus deals at all stages, you know, which is phenomenal if you think about a couple of hedge funds, but it just shows the sort of the massive transfer of the venture market, both in scaling up these large rounds, but also the fact that the VCs, which had traditionally controlled the flow of capital to entrepreneurs pre-IPO, are now in effect a minority investors. If you take the past decade, the one and a half trillion dollars that's been invested more in the past 10 years, VCs have raised a phenomenal 550 odd billion. You know, so that money has gone into startups, but the majority, in fact, probably two thirds, if not more, of the money that's gone into the VC, into these startups in this past decade has come from non-traditional sources, primarily Groups like Tiger, Kotu, the main corporations put out probably close to 100 billion and, you know, sovereign wealth funds and others. You know, so the, the whole market is in effect changing. Some VCs are able to follow on and still do it, such as, say, the IP groups. But most VC, most of these larger rounds are no longer led and controlled by the VCs. You know, so just like there's been changes, as we talked earlier, in the sort of the IPO market from the traditional investment banks giving it to mutual funds, you know, it's now in the later stages, VCs and the minority. Phenomenal change. That is, yeah. I mean, I, what is it you said? 70-odd deals that they collect? I, I, I realised that they were popping up more and more, but I hadn't realised that um, both Kochu and Tiger Global were uh, quite that active. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm down at setting up funds, like, say, Third Point, setting up a venture funds, but, you know, Tiger raises a couple of billion in its funds, you know, go to, I don't know what they do, actually, whether it's where their money comes from, or whether it's more of a sort of special purpose vehicle, you know, but it's just a natural place to make money, and then if these companies IPO, they can then follow on, you know, either on the upside or be able to short it, but, um, but there's just a lot more money. But the private markets have just become as liquid as the public markets. So you, know, you can get a 300 million round or a 1 billion round. You know, it's just a phenomenal change inside a decade. We've seen the, fire, the scaling up, but we're only scratching the surface. You know, we're only sort of 1% per year. 300 billion or so is put out in the overall venture market. That's still a fraction of the 500 billion that's raised in IPOs just in the US. So there's still a phenomenal amount of growth to come over the next decade. It's, you know, and people who can show sources of growth and innovation, like what you write about each day, Thierry, and your team, you know, Global University Venturing, are the source of that entrepreneurial ideas. 
There's only two sorts. People who come from corporations who leave it. People who leave or start companies while students to university. So if you understand those two pieces, you understand the entire future entrepreneurial ecosystem. So Sometimes I wish I... Uh... I had it understood slightly more and, and actually bought by and Moderna shares when no one had heard of them yet. But uh, maybe I need to get better at that game as well. It will come in time, Jerry. Don't you worry. Well, I am also a very risk-averse person, which, which does not help me in that regard. Cool. Well, what about the more news and briefs? What's, uh, what's the rest of the action? Well, we still have a lot of, well, the deals were all still nine-figure deals because it is just that kind of a world we live in now. B2B e-commerce marketplace Udan has pulled in $280 million from investors, including Tencent, for the second tranche of a Series D, now standing at $865 million. Tencent also took part in the round's 2019 first close, as did City Ventures, and the extra funding came at a $3.1 billion post-money valuation. Its overall funding now stands at $1.15 billion. Online food delivery and restaurant listings platform developer Zomato has pulled in $660 million in a Series J round, valuing it at $3.9 billion post-money. InfoEdge Ant and Financial, the two corporates that have historically been its two key investors, do not, however, appear to have participated. The funding coming from Fidelity, Tiger Global, Luxor Capital, Cora Management, D1 Capital Partners, Bailey Gifford, Mirai Asset, and Steadview Capital. Cloud cybersecurity platform developer Lacework has closed $525 million in funding from investors including Snowflake Ventures, which provided $20 million, and existing backer Liberty Global Ventures. The company had previously raised less than $75 million but said it increased revenue 300% in 2020, and that big jump in funding is indicative of how the ongoing public markets tech boom is having an impact further down the pyramid. As 2020 drew to a close, game creation platform developer Roblox had put its IPO on hold, citing erratic post-IPO share movement of other tech companies. Now we can see what the results are. Roblox has secured $520 million in a Series H round featuring Warner Music Group and valuing it at $29.5 billion, a more than seven-fold increase on the $4 billion valuation in a Series G round just under a year ago. The company's also revealed it's eschewing an IPO in favour of a direct listing, which suggests it really wasn't happy with its underwriters for the offering. DXY, the Chinese operator of an online medical community, has completed a $500 million round featuring Tencent investment at the end of a year when it established a real-time information service covering COVID-19 that aimed to combat harmful rumours. Tencent had originally invested $70 million in the company through a 2014 round that preceded a $100 million Series D round four years later. Chinese AI chipmaker Horizon Robotics secured $150 million in Series C funding just last month, but has already added $400 million in a Series C2 round co-led by lithium-ion battery maker Contemporary Amperex Technology. Recent reports suggested the company was targeting a total of $700 million across multiple tranches. Its earlier backers, including Intel Capital and SK Global subsidiaries SK China, and SK Hynix. Grab is one of the two big players in Southeast Asia's on-demand ripe market, and it's also been arguably the quickest in the sector worldwide to expand into other areas. It's reportedly raised $300 million for Grab Financial Group, a spin-off that encompasses a range of financial services including digital payment technology, lending, insurance and investment management. 
conglomerate Hanwha is leading the round through its Hanwha Asset Management subsidiary. Staying in Asia, Chinese AI chipmaker Nflame Technology has raised $279 million in its round. Nflame produces AI chips for data centers and has now secured a total of over $470 million since it was founded in 2018. Tencent, which participated in the $279 million Series C round, has backed it in all four rounds it has disclosed. Ava develops LiDAR sensor technology for using autonomous driving systems, and two months ago it agreed a reverse merger with a SPAC called Interprivate Acquisition Corporation set to value it at $2.1 billion once the deal closed. Now the company, which is backed by Porsche and Lockheed Martin, has agreed a $200 million investment by one of Interprivate's shareholders technology investment firm Celebra Capital, that will close when the other deal closes. It's an interesting symptom of the ongoing public markets boom there. Divi is the developer of an offering that combines business expense management software with smart credit cards, helping companies track and manage their expenses and spending. It secured $165 million in a Series D round featuring Haneco and PayPal Ventures at a $1.6 billion valuation. The round increased Divi's overall funding to $410 million, $200 million of which came in a 2019 Series C round. And Rimeo, developer of a data management platform for data lake storage, has secured $135 million in a Series D round from backers including Cisco Investments at a $1 billion valuation. The corporate also took part in a $70 million Series C round 10 months ago and the latest round boosted its total funding to $250 million. We've had a host of big enterprise software IPOs over the past year or two, of course, but it looks as though the next wave of unicorns in the space is already emerging. And antibody therapy developer Boant Biotech has raised $106 million from investors, including Bank of China's BOCG investment vehicle, at a pre-money valuation of a touch over $750 million. The company was founded in 2013 and acquired by Louis Pharma Group six years later, the latest round representing the first it has closed since then. Looking at funds, it was a bit quiet, but we had one more. US-based sports franchises, the Green Bay Packers, Milwaukee Bucks and Milwaukee Brewers, have backed an impact investment fund for minority-run startups. The franchises committed to Equity League as a new impact investment division of venture capital fund Titletown Tech, alongside software producer Microsoft. And exits, we have one more for you here. Arwell Therapeutics was spun off in 2019 by drug developer Axavant to commercialize an epilepsy drug licensed from pharmaceutical company SK Biopharmaceuticals. The company backed $208 million in Series A funding and project funding last year, but its investors will exit after Angelini Pharma agreed to acquire it in a deal that could hit $906 million. SK Bio will also get a nice return from its 12% stake in Arwell. And finally, some comings and goings. We've already talked about Andre Marcial and his new venture capital firm at the top of the episode. And we also have David Hayes and Ignacio Gimenez, who have been promoted to managing partners at BP Ventures, the corporate venturing arm of the eponymous oil major. The new role is part of a shift under Megan Sharp, the new global head of BP Ventures and vice president for the company's innovation engine being developed to support the technical and commercial capabilities necessary to grow new businesses for BP in its journey to net zero. Sharp, of course, had returned to BP Ventures towards the end of last year, having left in 2019 to become COO at portfolio company Beyond Limits. Wonderful. Well, thanks for that, Thierry. Seems like it's been a busy week. 
Hopefully everyone enjoys the next one and we'll see everyone at the GCV Digital Forum starting with the Rising Stars and Emerging Leaders Awards on the 21st of January when we'll be announcing the launch of the Global Innovation Venturing Network with Scott Sandell, Managing Partner of NEA and then leading through a number of challenges for pitch events on the 22nd with our GCV Connect Powered by Proceeder platform. So thanks to Ken Gatz and the team over there for that. And then running through with Mac49's workshops on the 25th, some roundtables and panels on the 26th, and then the main conference on the 27th. So busy couple of weeks ahead, and we'll be launching the GCV annual review, which we call the World of Corporate Venturing. And Thierry's already preparing his next quarterly feature for quarterly report for Global University Venture. So no rest for us at the moment, but do let us know your news and how we can help you. Have a good week, everyone. Awesome. Thank you, Jim. And that is it for this week's edition of the Global Venturing Review podcast. As always, these are only the top headlines from the past week. So do head on over to globalcorporateventuring.com, globaluniversityventuring.com and globalimpactventuring.com to find everything else. And of course, do check back daily to stay on top of the news as it happens. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if this is your first time listening, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, which we really appreciate because it helps us grow our audience. And don't forget to recommend us to your friends and colleagues as well. Maybe even tweet out the episode or post about it on LinkedIn. Keep an eye out too on Wednesdays for our leadership series where we talk with thought leaders from all over the world to find out more about how they are supporting the innovation ecosystem. If you have any feedback, comments, questions, you can email me at thales at globaluniversityventuring.com that's T-H-E-L-E-S at globaluniversityventuring.com. You can also tweet us at GC Venturing or GU Venturing. My name is Jerry Hillis. My co-host is Editor-in-Chief James Mawson. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In-Ear Production. Do check him out on inearproduction.com for all your podcasting needs. Our intro music is by Kevin McLeod under a Creative Commons license. We'll be back with more news next Monday. Have a productive week, everyone. Goodbye. Global Venturing Review was produced by In-Ear Production. You can find out more by going to inearproduction.com.